Without travelers, we don't have guests, and without guests, we can't provide hospitality. That's why we're learning today from Jeff Freeman, president and CEO of the U.S. Travel Association. In this episode, you're going to learn what's going on in the world of travel today, what it will take to encourage more inbound travel, and how you can participate in all of this so that we can welcome more people, provide hospitality, and grow our businesses. Hospitality. 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 Hospitality brings people together. This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Josiah. To kick us off, you've spoken before, Jeff, about some of the biggest challenges that we have in travel are that people take travel for granted, even within the industry. Why is that? And and why shouldn't we take it for granted? Well, first of all, I'm thrilled to be at the U.S. Travel Association. One of the things we often talk about is that travel does not uh, naturally receive the same type of attention and appreciation in our country as it may in other places. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work in other industries. And for some reason, anything we do in this country that has the word manufacturing next to it, we take seriously. We, we throw new opportunities at, right? We, we defend and promote and bend over backwards to help uh, various other industries. For whatever reason, I have no idea why it is that travel in this country is perceived to be either something that will just happen on its own, or maybe in some instances, when you look at service industry jobs, something that is less noble than other industries. And the problem with that is, you know, not being taken as seriously as we need the industry to be taken. The problem with that is that policymakers, one, do unintentional harm to us. They're not, they don't seek to harm the travel industry, but because they're not thinking about the industry, they do things that do unintentional harm, number one. And number two, it's that much more difficult to get them to go do the things that would be helpful to the industry, right? We need to fix visa wait times to get people in the country. We need to address the customs process. We need to fix the aviation system, which is so antiquated and failing travelers in so many respects. But getting policymakers to do these things require, requires that they have some greater appreciation for the industry than they have today. So we have our work cut out for us. And I think we just have to accept as members of the industry, we have a responsibility to get out there and explain the value of this industry, not just from an economic standpoint, from from a social standpoint, from a community standpoint. I saw information earlier this week from the Pew Charitable Trust that talked about those who are travelers are more likely to identify with the needs of other countries. They're more likely to appreciate U.S. foreign policy elsewhere in the world. They're more likely to be a bit open-minded in their thinking on some of these various issues. We can do a better job of telling that story, and that's something we've got to do going forward. Well, thanks for setting the stage for us. And I wonder if we could talk just a little bit more about some of those second order uh, effects, if you will. You know, there's the personal benefits where people are more open-minded, more caring, but also is there an impact on communities or other kind of things that we may miss as we think about the overall benefits of travel? I mean, the obvious benefit of travel is the economic impact. And we talk about the jobs, the wages, the spending that takes place. We talk about that frequently. That's great. The economic impact is fantastic, but it doesn't tell the totality of the story. Uh, The totality of the travel story, I think, is so much more complicated than we get from just the economics. I'll use, for example, the fact that I made my first trip ever to Maui this summer. 
I hadn't been to Maui before, obviously, didn't know what to expect. But it was in that experience with my family that we went to Lahaina. We got to see firsthand what that community was all about. And it was only six weeks later that Lahaina was gone. My appreciation for the people of Hawaii, my appreciation for Lahaina, my willingness to now do things to support that community, to help that community rebuild, is greater because of the experience I had, because I got to see it. I now had a greater appreciation for what it was all about. And I think that's what travel does. It unlocks our minds. It opens up a a new connection to various communities. All of these things are really, really helpful. And they make us, I think, better people in the process. It happens. We've seen it before. It happens in the inverse as well. People that have come to the United States, people that have visited the United States, have a greater appreciation for the United States. They have a greater appreciation for U.S. foreign policy around the world. Travel to the United States is one of the best public diplomacy tools that we have. But again, we tend to look at it too narrowly just through the economic lens. And even then, we don't give it the we don't invest in it the way we need to from a policymaking standpoint. So we can't we can't ignore this, right? I think if you work in hospitality, you probably like travel, but you really need to understand the full benefits, the full impact of what travel is. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the U.S. Travel Association. What's its mission and how should our hospitality community think of it? Yeah, so the U.S. Travel Association represents the totality of the travel industry. Hotels, theme parks, cruise lines, rental car companies, OTAs, and every major destination from coast to coast. When you've got a membership that diverse, it's fair to say that there's not a whole lot that everybody agrees on. But the one thing that is universal among the totality of that membership is that we need to protect and grow the ability to travel, whether it's international inbound, whether it's domestic leisure, transient business, group travel, whatever it is, we are aligned that we need to protect and grow the ability to do that. That keeps us really focused. You know, there's a lot of things that hotel hotels deal with in running their business. Well, that's where the American Hotel and Lodging Association is better equipped than we are to focus on those parochial needs. There's things specific to airlines and airports. We're focused on what United, Disney, Hilton have in common, and that is that, that focus on growth. How do we fix visa wait times and the customs process for international visitors? How do we fix aspects of the aviation experience for travel within the United States? How do we address the issues around both transient business and group travel where the ROI isn't fully understood? How do we define that ROI? How do we help business leaders feel even better about putting their people on the road in greater numbers, the value that they're deriving from the events that they're, they're participating in? That's our opportunity. That's what U.S. Travel does. We do it through advocacy. We do it through research. We do it through education. We've got one of the biggest trade shows out there with IPW, which does about $6 billion of business uh, with international travel to the United States annually. Uh, So we're doing everything we can to help this industry thrive. And we've got even greater opportunities in the years ahead. It's really important work because many countries have some sort of national tourism minister or some sort of central government body. We don't have that in the U.S., right? But I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about one of the biggest achievements you and your team had going back a, a number of years to the formation of brand, what became Brand USA. I wonder if you could talk just a little bit more about why forming that was important, what went into it, just to underscore this need. We all know travel so interconnected, but you actually helped shepherd through a project that became a pillar of what we're doing now. Tell us a little bit about what how that came to be. Well, you're right. We are the only G20 nation in the world that doesn't have a tourism minister. 
we were the only G20 nation that didn't have a marketing program to encourage people to come visit. Uh, I give Jay Rizzullo, then the head of Disney Parks and Resorts, so much credit because back in 2005, 2006, he was the one really leading the call for creating something at a federal level, particularly post 9-11, to better communicate our policies, to let people around the world know that we want their business. Uh, we led an effort, as you said, to help policymakers understand the consequence of not doing this. And the consequence of not doing it, again, particularly in that post 9-11 environment, was that travelers around the world began to feel they weren't wanted in the U.S., that uh, rather than a welcome mat, we had a go-away sign. And it was so important that we make sure that travelers recognized that their business was desired. We worked with a bipartisan group, House and Senate, Republicans and Democrats, to pass the Travel Promotion Act in 2010 and lay the groundwork for the creation of Brand USA, which has now been running for more than 10 years. It's spending around $200 million annually to encourage visitors to come to the United States. I think if you look at the major players across the travel industry, nearly all are investing in Brand USA. They see the difference between what their individual company's marketing does versus what an entity like Brand USA can do, uh, the pivotal role it can play. And I think that role is only growing more pivotal as, as politics grow more, what's the word to use, less attractive, right? More turning off more and more people on, on, on both sides of the aisle as public safety concerns rise. As new issues emerge, the importance of Brand USA to get a clear and consistent message out to travelers around the world only increases. And I think they just play such an important role in bringing people into the country, but they're only one leg of the stool. You know, it's one part about marketing. It's one part about the visa process. 45% of the people that want to come to the United States are required to get a visa. Unfortunately, the average wait time in our top markets is more than 400 days to even get an interview for that visa. It's a staggering uh, delay, and it's a, it's a real deterrent to visiting. And then you've got the customs process. More and more, the customs officers that we desperately need in the airports are being shuttled to the land border. It's leading to an experience where travelers are waiting one, two, or three plus hours to get through customs. It's a terribly unwelcoming message. These three legs of the stool have to work. They have to work together. And we've got a lot of work to do. Our, our share of international travelers is declining. We're still not back to pre-pandemic numbers. And as I, I was speaking with the several industry CEOs this morning, they cite the lack of international visitors as the greatest challenge that they're confronting when it comes to strengthening their bottom line. Well, you know, I, I'm based in San Francisco. We certainly feel that here. We used to receive so much inbound travel from China. I feel, you know, people I talk to, hospitality providers here are experiencing that. And that's why I appreciate you talking in your various speeches and appearances. You've talked a lot about making travel easier, right? You talked about some of the delays. I had a recent experience where I visited a country I'll leave unnamed, but after a you know, 12 plus hour flight, I get out there and I'm hours in line. It is not a good welcoming experience. It sort of affects how you feel at least that first day. I'm sure we've all had some experience like that. But back to that notion of kind of travel becoming easier, another core project that you laid the groundwork for and, and helped initiate was the pre-check program, right? Making it more seamless, right? And there's other programs, but I wonder if you could speak a little bit to kind of how pre-check came to be and the opportunity that you saw to make travel easier in that sense. 
Yeah, I think, first of all, we all know that travel is a path of least resistance. It's true for all of us. We're going to go uh, generally where it's easy to get to, where you're not making two, three connections, right? Where's that that nonstop? Where do they want me? Where do they make it easy to get to the rental car? All of those things go through the traveler's mind. The more obstacles we put in the way of the traveler, the less likely we are to increase travel. It's that simple. In the United States, unfortunately, we put way too many obstacles in front of the traveler. Uh, the aviation experience in general is shortchanging the traveler. More than 20% of flights delayed or canceled, other obstacles in that process, those are real issues. If I go back a little over 10 years, 2009, 10, 11, one of the biggest issues at that point was travelers' frustration with the TSA experience. We would have lines that were extensive. We had, and I'm, I'm not kidding, we had TSA officers with people with their pants around the ankles as we were screening them here in the United States. The system was unpredictable. And the message that I often heard and felt was there has to be a better way. And I think we've all said that there's got to be a better way to do that. Well, we set out to find that better way. We retained Tom Ridge, the first Secretary of Homeland Security. We retained other experts, and we said, what would a better way look like? And over the course of a year, we painted the picture for a program where travelers could opt in, provide TSA with more information about themselves, and in exchange, get a better experience. And it turned out it was a win-win-win. You don't often find this. It was a win for TSA because they were getting more information about a subset of travelers. It was a win for those travelers who gave the information because they got a more streamlined experience. And it was even a win for those who didn't give that information because they got the rest of us out of their line. So across the board, it was a beneficial program. Today, 35% of travelers are in pre-check. That's good. But the question is, how do we continue to grow those numbers? How do we continue to streamline this experience? How do we modify the TSA experience? If you're not in pre-check, the experience you're going through today for 65% of travelers is basically identical to the experience you went through in January of 2002. You're taking your shoes off, your belt off, your liquids out of your bag. Just like we said 10 years ago, there's got to be a better way to do this. And we see it right now where the UK, Spain, other countries are looking at getting rid of the liquid ban. They're moving forward with new technologies. We need to do the same here. It's why in January, uh, just in a few short weeks, we'll be launching a new commission that is really coming together to improve the air travel experience writ large, to look at the customs aspects, to look at the TSA aspects, to look at how we give the traveler an experience that they can feel better about. I'll close with this. As I'm out there talking about this issue, I think one challenge we have today is that travelers are too tolerant of the system we have. I don't think they're demanding enough of policymakers. I think we've actually, we, we've, we've become sheep in a way, accepting that this is the way it has to be. Well, this is not the way it has to be in the world's most advanced country with the most advanced technologies. We need to demand more from policymakers. We need to demand more at a state and federal level. There's a better way of doing this, and we shouldn't tolerate the inefficiencies that we confront in the system today. I want to underscore a couple points that you've made across these examples. I think one is the power of travel to bring people together. It feels almost impossible to get anything done in our political landscape in our country. It's not unique to our country, but it is very fractured. You kind of found a way in the past and you're finding ways now to get people together to create opportunity. You, sp you speak to the power of collaboration. You know, these are very, very complex problems. 
And so deep partnerships with people who can move things forward seem to be core to the work that you're doing. And then to your last point of, of you know, we, we need to be a little bit less tolerant of the status quo. We need to get involved. So for the hospitality community that's listening to this, what would be your invitation to get involved and participate and support the work you're doing? I appreciate it, Josiah. I appreciate it. the way you summarized it, I think is, is well said. That collaboration is really key. We as U.S. travel aren't going to be able to shape the future on our own. We need to bring experts uh, into play where necessary. We need to bring the grassroots of the industry along for the ride. And we need that complementary aspect of, of people speaking up to help shape the, uh, the ground there for policymakers, media, and others to want to do something. When it comes to, to working with us, a, a couple of things come to mind. One is just in your day-to-day experiences as a traveler, demand more, encourage others to demand more, make your voice heard. Let's increase the volume level on some of these issues, some of these inefficiencies. I said before, more than 20% of flights delayed or canceled. That's unacceptable. Right. So how do we get that message across in the media to policymakers and other others that we demand more? We'll create tools for people in the industry to do that. But I think we all have tools on a regular basis, whether it's with our local elected officials or whomever it might be. When we're out on the road giving speeches, we can make some of these points. Number one. Number two, we have a program that we run every year called Destination Capitol Hill which takes place in April, where we bring together hundreds and in the future thousands of travel industry professionals to go to Capitol Hill and to get our point across. We would welcome the participation of others uh, in Destination Capitol Hill. We want to make sure that every state is represented. It's represented by a critical mass of industry leaders. Getting that message out would encourage any of your listeners to reach out to me, to reach out to us at the U.S. Travel Association to learn how they can participate in that. And I think the third thing that would be really helpful is I know you've got an audience of a lot of hoteliers. You've got an audience of people who are always hosting meetings, larger uh, events, conventions in some instances. How do we take advantage of those activities to share the message of this is travel? When we have a thousand dentists in town for a convention, that's the travel industry at work. You might think of that as dentistry. No, dentistry is what happens somewhere else. This is the travel industry at work, the way they're, what they're doing in the community, how they're learning from one another, how they're walking away with a different impression of us as an industry, of the community that they're in. This is travel at work. So how do we connect the dots for local media? How do we connect the dots for the local chamber, for other, for local elected officials, for them to see that what's going on here is the travel industry at work. I think hoteliers in particular have that opportunity to connect those dots. And it's, it's a dot that, again, it isn't often connected. But I'll tell you, when we go out to fix the, the visa system and we're able to bring people in from the consumer electronics industry who can talk about, well, here's what's happening to us with our consumer electronics show and the 20% of visitors we're not getting. Well, that puts a whole new spin on what's going on. And I think all of us have that example at a local level to use our customers to tell a story that's a bit more sophisticated about who this industry is and what it does. Fantastic. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing this. I will link in the show notes to your website where people can learn more about this, but I appreciate you and, and the work that you're doing. Josiah, my pleasure. Really enjoyed it.
Before we go, I want to let you know about a few more things. First, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app to stay inspired each day by actionable insights from the most interesting people in hospitality. Second, I've started sharing videos and photos from the stories on this show on Instagram and YouTube, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, I encourage you to follow Hospitality Daily there so we can stay in touch. Third, if you'd like to listen to more conversations like the one you just heard, visit this podcast website at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. I've spent a lot of time building out this website because I want to make it really easy for you to listen to the topics and guests that you are interested in, whether that's culture and leadership or operations or technology or something else. Browse and search the entire library of more than 400 episodes for some of the top leaders and innovators in hospitality at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. Dot com to get ideas for delighting the people around you and reaching your business and career goals. I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in the show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 